Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Here we are. Welcome back to Why Though. I'm Tiffany Bloom, one of your co-hosts. And today on this episode, episode three, I'm interviewing Ashley Abercrombie. So we're titling this Why Ashley Abercrombie Though. (laughs) And here's the best part. She has the coolest name. You know you love her name. It's just (laughs) fabulous. I mean, when you think of her name, you think of those jeans you wore in high school. Yeah. (laughs) Which may or may not be a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you saved up like $97 to buy one pair of ripped jeans. (laughs) So, I mean, it's exciting. It's exciting. But um, uh, today you're going to hear Ashley's story. Last week you heard mine and today you are going to hear um why she is the way she is and how she got to the place she is today so ashley tell us a little bit about what you do now and then how you got there yeah okay well my husband and i live in uh, new york we live on the island in the borough of manhattan in harlem we have two little boys we also live here in our apartment with my beautiful mom and I love, I love what we get to do. Recently, I just became a full-time writer, which is the craziest thing ever. Very similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. If you heard Tiffany last week, you know that she's doing the same thing. And so I'm really living out some of my dreams that I prayed for more than 20 years ago. Mm. Um, so, you know, don't let anybody ever tell you there's a suddenly. Suddenly takes a very long time, <laughs> which is true. There's a reason it has so many letters in the word suddenly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Say a word about it and lots of syllables. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, but on the journey to getting here, I mean, I grew up in a very tiny little town called Eden. It's in North Carolina, which was a beautiful place to grow up. Um, I had amazing friends. We had an awesome community. You didn't have to lock your doors or your car. In fact, my first car was a Geo Pink Tracker. So I actually would leave the keys in and the doors unlocked with a little (laughs) prayer that someone would steal that puppy. It never happened, I think for obvious reasons. Also, um, someone in my family used to call it a pregnant roller skate. So there you go. Nobody (laughs) wants to drive that. (laughs) I would have stole it if you needed me to. Thank you, Tiffany. I wish we would have known each other then. (laughs) There you go. There you go. So yeah, it was a great, great town. for the team. Yes, you would have. And I appreciate that about you. (laughs) We would have done great things with that insurance money. So yeah, growing up there was awesome. And at the same time, in the South, um, at least where I'm from, and this may not be everyone's experience in the South, of course, but my experience was that you can be known by everyone and not be known at all. Mm. And so everybody knows everything about you, but they really don't know anything about you at all. And so growing up, what I perfected was wearing a mask. And I really perfected pretending and performing and just being able to kind of go through the motions. I could be in the worst pain and just show up with a smile on my face and act like everything was okay. Um, And I was able to do that growing up. And then when I left for college at 18, um, I left on a scholarship to the school that I ended up going to um, and just was an athlete and just had, you know, big hopes and big dreams. In high school, I was like president of everything, captain of everything. I also was a cheerleader, Tiffany, by the way. Uh-huh. No. Y'all, I am six foot two. Listen, why in the world was I trying to be a cheerleader? I mean, I hit six one by the time I was 15. This is ridiculous. Oh I don't know why they let me on that squad, but they did. 
They needed well, probably because we were. They did, and they needed all the booty shaking that we did during the, the halftime. So <laughs> I was I was happy to oblige at that time. <laughs> oh my goodness! But when I went off for college, it was just I was completely overwhelmed. Honestly, all my classes had 300 people in them. I went from a a hometown that was 14,000 people to a college campus that had over 40,000 people. My smallest class was larger than 50, and I had never been in a place where. I could hide so well and where my teachers weren't there to sort of affirm me, where I didn't have coaches who were really invested in my life. And so I started to fall apart and um, I began doing drugs and I had a de- developed an eating disorder because as a pretender and as someone who wore a mask, the only way that I knew how to get rid of my pain was to either self-harm or to drink myself into a tizzy or to binge and purge. And that was the only way I knew wow. how to share because I didn't know how to take my mask off. I didn't know how to have reciprocal relationships. Mm-hmm. I knew how to let lots of people tell me what their needs were and what kind of advice they needed. And I was happy to be there and be available for them, but I didn't have the courage or the strength to do the same. I didn't know how to say I have a need. Um, And so as I began to mask even further with drugs, alcohol, eating disorder, I began to do not so great in school. And then um, three, two and a half years in, um, I was raped on campus by a guy that I knew um, and didn't know Mm. well, of course, but It was a super difficult part of my life um, to have that experience. And I remember the next morning waking up and going to work as if nothing had happened to me because it was the only way I knew how to process life was just to act like it didn't happen and just keep it moving, like stick that somewhere in the recesses of my heart and mind Mm. and just keep going. Um, But of course you can't do that for, for very long before it all starts to catch up with you. And that was true for me too. But what I decided to do was leave. (laughs) Like I need to get Mm. as far away from this place as possible. And I wasn't doing well in school anyway. So I went to go visit our Dean. I gave up my scholarship and then just started having real conversations with my mom about what I could do. What I, you know, did I need to move somewhere? Was I going to travel and do stuff? I was studying textile, apparel design and management. So I really wanted to work in fashion at the time. So I ended up moving out to Los Angeles, 3000 miles away from my hometown my mom's full support and help in doing that. She's such an amazing, wonderful woman. And I'm so thankful for her example Mm. of tenacity and resilience. She's really taught me so much about how to, you know, fall down and get back up again. She's been a, a real example to me in that. But moving out to California, I got there. And as soon as my feet hit the soil, I was like, oh, I'm home. And then my mom started crying. I started crying because I just knew like, wow, this is it. Like I can start all over. And it felt so good to have a fresh start. I don't Mm. know if you've ever just wanted to, you know, lay down and go to bed and wake up with a new life. And that's sort of what I tried to do. And then I realized, man, everywhere you go, there you are. Like how annoying is that? (laughs) Yes. It's like everything was awesome for two months. And I'm like, crap, all these skeletons in my closet are still there. Like all these Mm -hmm. things that are bothering me and tormenting me, the past that I hadn't dealt with, my eating disorder that I was not dealing with, the drug and alcohol addiction that I wasn't dealing with. It was all still there. Um, And I ended up working while I was hoping to go to school, which I did not end up doing, but I ended up working at a restaurant that I had also worked at in North Carolina um, and in California. Uh, several people on that restaurant staff went to a church that I ended up going to for 15 years, which was a beautiful faith community, ended up being a part of meeting some of my best friends. I met my husband there um, Mm. and they all were like 
cool Christians. I don't know how to explain it to you, but I'd only known like super judgmental Christians that would call me names when I was in college or judge me for my choices. Never one time. Oh, and they also would always use the phrase like, if you just knew Jesus or I want to take you to my little FCA meeting so you can get saved. And I'm like, first of all, I got saved in 1988, which you would know (laughs) if you bothered to ask me a question. Like, why do we do this to people? We act like we're the be all end all as if we're the only people who've ever had a faith experience. You know, it's ridiculous. And so anyways, I ended up meeting these great Christians and they actually never invited me to church, but they took me to dinner. They went out to coffee with me, um, just invited me along into their life. Like it was just a very natural, organic process. And then at nighttime I would go out, I would party, rage at the clubs, do drugs, you know, drink. And they would drive me home. They'd drink Diet Coke and hang out. And it was two two big things happened. One, it was the first Christians I'd ever knew who were like that. And two, there were several men in that group. And they were the first men who didn't try to sleep with me, who didn't have some sort of ulterior motive. Like, they actually treated me like a sister. Mm. And so after several months of that, I was like, can I come to church with you? Like, I have never met Christians like you in my life. Um, I ended up coming to their church. And the second or third time I was there, I heard this amazing woman speak, which I didn't know you could do that. Because in the South where I'm from, in our particular Baptist denomination, I mean, women did not have any place except in the women's ministry where they quilted or teaching Mm. children. So I was like, somebody's Mm going to strike this lady dead. Like, this is not a good idea. (laughs) What's she doing up there? Who puts you up there? They they do not have good things planned for you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're like, this is going to go poorly. This is not good. But it went great, of course, because she was there preaching and teaching. And she talked about her past and what she had gone through and the abuse that she had experienced. And as I listened to her speak, I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, here I am sitting in that audience, like this crowd of hundreds of people. And nobody knows me. And I'm sitting there listening to her words. And I'm like, God, if that is true for her, why wouldn't that be true for me? Like, why, yeah. if you did all that for her, like this, Come on. this lady that I don't even know who's up there mm. preaching with so much power, God, why couldn't you do it for me? And I made mm. a decision that day to, to follow Jesus and to begin to walk on this faith journey with him. And it wasn't perfect. It was so messy. I had a recovery journey ahead of me that you just would not believe. Wow. I mean, I had major yeah, healing to do. I had, mm. um, I had to uproot a lot of things from my past and the process has taken years, but I'm 15 years sober now. Amen. Yay. Um, yeah. 15 years healed from eating disorder, from overdoing it with alcohol. I haven't used drugs in 15 years. Come um, on, girl. And so it's just been a huge, huge, um, change in my life, an undeniable change in my life. And while I can't always explain the things of Jesus, I can't always explain the things of faith. I do know that I have been changed, that the things that have happened in my life don't make sense. Like it just doesn't make sense that I come from the background that I come from. And at the same time, I'm still able to walk with healing and wholeness. So I spent, you know, the last 15 years doing many, many jobs, which is sort of the Los Angeles way. If any of you are Southern (laughs) California people, you just do what needs to be done. You do a whole bunch of jobs and figure your life out. And I spent my twenties really honestly, um, overcoming insecurities and experiencing healing and allowing God to open up you know, all that stuff I had buried and allowing God one mask at a time to sort of peel me back like an onion and get to the real truth of who I am and the core of who I am. And I learned through that process that who I am at the core is good and that there's nothing fundamentally wrong with me, which is the Mm -hmm. lie that I believed, which is why I wore so many masks, but like at the core, I'm good. And that's how God made me. And even though I make mistakes and even though I'm not perfect, like the core of who I am is good. 
Um, and I loved being able to learn that with God. Um, I've always been writing since I was a little kid, so that's kind of been a through line in my life. It's how I processed a lot of the things that I've shared with you already. It's how I, yeah. I got through some difficult seasons in my life through writing poetry or writing short um, fiction or um, you know essays and different things like that or just writing the truth as I felt like led to write it. And so yeah. that's kind of always been a through line. And then I got involved in the nonprofit justice world about seven years ago. Um, a little longer if you count my favorite nonprofit, which is Treasures, which I got involved <laughs> in about 12 years ago. Um, and that's fighting um, human trafficking and women who are victims of sexual exploitation. And so being able to be part of the justice world really began to shift my faith. I got involved in some mass incarceration initiatives in Los Angeles. I became a prison chaplain. Um, and it was just a deep passion of my life, particularly those two issues, anti-human trafficking initiatives and mass incarceration, which I think is one of the biggest things America is facing. And we have the largest jail population population of any country yep. on the earth. Um, and so for me, the inequities that exist in our criminal justice system are not okay. And it kind of came to a head in my life where it's like, I can't not do something like I have yeah. to act on this. Um, and so those things have been really important in my life and also have changed my faith. Like the things that I thought, um, in the Bible, I feel like I have a much, you know, I've got a long way to go. I won't fully understand the Bible as long as I'm alive in eternity, I'll get a different picture. But I feel like I've grown grown in having a holistic perspective of the Word of God, that it does include everyone, that the love of God yeah. is big enough for all of us, yeah. that there's a place for all of us, that we all have a unique voice and a unique contribution, and God wants us to bring that. And so I feel like I've spent the last, you know, seven to ten years of my life really creating room for people and stepping back, you know. In the beginning of my faith, it was so all about me, you know, very like, mm. and it, it has to be that way in the beginning. That's how we heal, yeah. right? We need to yeah. take time to focus on ourselves, but there does come that shift where you go my life is not my own and it actually is res I'm responsible to create space for others I'm responsible to make sure that everybody is at this table I'm responsible to cr cultivate a rich diverse beautiful community that looks like heaven because it says in the Bible that we are all made in the image of God and the ground is level at the foot of the cross and that means that nobody's inferior and nobody's superior we stand side by side when we stand before jesus which is one of the things that i love about him like he just he dismantled the hierarchy <laughs> you know he dismantled yes. all the reasons that were out um yeah I'm, I'm so thankful for that so how we got to new york <laughs> yeah i just want to i want to pause you there for a yes, second because please. there's something uh, i just want listeners to pick up on this is that just I mean, listen to Ashley's story of going through, all, working through all of these issues and her healing ushered in the healing of other people. Her healing, her healing sent her into the prison ward and her mm -hmm. healing sent her on Skid Row and her healing mm -hmm. sent her to these places where she was convinced other people could have the same healing because yes. if God gave it to her, he would give it to them. I just, I want you to pause and just share to somebody who is on struggle street, if they're if the <laughs> the addiction and the eating disorders, because these are real, these are yes. these are these are things that control us, and we don't feel like we can get ahead of them, and we don't feel like we'll ever move past the place we are now. What would you say to the woman who is just feeling like I can't? This isn't happening. Like I'm. This is who I am. I am addicted. I am always going to have this struggle, or I am always going to be bound. What would you say to her? Well, first of all, I would say that you're not alone because I think that that's one of the biggest lies that we believe is that we are alone in our pain and, and you are not alone. And what you are experiencing is not unique. It's unique in the sense that it's personal to you. And just like that, we're going to, we're just going to listen to these, um, 
sirens right here. She live in Harlem, people. I do. I live in, in Harlem. Beautiful New York where there are loads of sirens. <laughs> but sister, I would tell you that you are not alone. And that is a lie um, that we believe. And that keeps us from taking our mask off. It keeps us from walking in reciprocal relationship. It keeps us from being honest with others so that they can be honest with us. One of the biggest, yeah. deepest experiences we can have is to share with someone and them to say me too so here i am sister me too like you are mm -hmm. not alone and the other thing that i would tell you is there's this big um you know movement in the the healing and recovery world which i so love like i love the healing and recovery world i have been immersed in it for a very long time at the same time it is a lie that you will always be an addict it is a lie mm -hmm. that you will always struggle it is not the truth i mean their struggle street is real and we all live there but the issue that you are dealing with currently does not have to be a lifelong issue i am Amen. literally completely free from eating disorders i don't worry about it i don't struggle with it i'm not like thinking about it all the time and it used to dominate every single thing that I did. In fact, I have chunks of my memory that are just missing because all I was doing was focusing on that. Um, and, and I think that I want you to know that, that it's not true. And I think the more that we can get in close relationship with one another, the more healing that we experience. And, and God created us to be interdependent with one another. So not codependent and not totally independent, but interdependent because we experience the fullness of God when we experience one another. So the closer I get to others, the more that I can see God because they, he operates through them. Um, and, and another quick story I'll share is I had a friend um, at the time, at the very, very beginning of my healing journey before I had really shared anything that I had gone through and she called me. She's like, how are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm fine. And then I redirected like I always do. Like, oh, so how are you? And how was your day? And asked a million questions so that I could, again, avoid being known. And when we hung up the phone, like 15 minutes later, she showed up at my apartment door, <gasps> knocking on my door. And when oh. I opened it, I literally fell on the floor in tears. And she just got down on the floor with me and she sobbed with me. She <sighs> felt my pain. And it was one of the most powerful, life-changing experiences that I had ever had. And it did something to me. It reminded me that I wasn't alone. It reminded me that people could see me. It reminded me that I could be a mess. And that's mm. okay. Like, it's okay yep. to not be okay. Yep. It's okay. And through the process of being known, that's where I really found healing. And the process of her allowing me to know her, that reciprocity, is where I really began to, to uncover so much of my value and uncover so much of my worthiness. Because I realized, like... Not just that God loved me, but that people loved me just yeah, as I am. Wow. And that changed everything for me. Life-changing experience. Do you feel like growing up in, as you said, um, the faith community that you did back in North Carolina, that it wasn't okay uh, to stay broken for very long. Like, and I, I feel like in it, I could really broad stroke this and forgive me if you don't agree with me listeners, but I feel like sometimes in the faith community, it's not okay to continually be broken. You need to fix it. God can do a work. You can go to get your prayer at the altar and then you're done. It's fine. Everything's perfect. You're, you're amazing. You have, you know, your great house and a dog and everything's fine. <laughs> and, but, but when we, when our brokenness lasts longer than like, you know, 17 seconds, um, <laughs> People don't want to deal with that. Therefore, mm -hmm. you must pretend like things are okay because you don't want to be the problem person. You don't want to be the problem lady who just can't seem to get over X when really you're just on a journey of healing. Yes. And that takes longer than 17 seconds. Yes. I mean, it's also true. I think it's, it's a human struggle. I mean, nobody, number one, humans don't want to slow down. 
to go mm-hmm. through a full process of healing. Number two, right. other humans don't want you to slow down, slow down and go through a process of healing. And yeah. more specifically, being a woman in the world today, whether you're in the South or you're in a church or you're in a business or you're in the boardroom, like being a woman today means that you don't get to stop and have emotions because that has so many implications that has such yeah. a stigma attached to it. And so yeah. I think the gender issue is a big one here where we're just taught like, Hey, you don't, you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be strong for everybody else. And even if you're not the, you're supposed to be strong, maybe you're supposed to be submissive, but either way, whether you're taught to be strong or submissive, you are not allowed to fall apart. You are not allowed to have emotions. You are not allowed to be angry. You are not allowed to feel um, anything other than pleasing people. And I think that that's, it's a real issue in our world. And for me, I was like, I'm not having it. Like I'm too old. I'm too annoyed. Like, I'm not going to put that mask back on. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to bow yeah. to the pressure that exists in any environment, whether it's in the church or it's in, you know, work or wherever it might be. I'm not going to bow to that pressure that I can't be a human being who's struggling. Um, and I have found the more and more that I walk out of that and the more and more vulnerable that I am, it just releases. It creates safe spaces for people to be. Um, And that's the kind of person I want to be. And I encourage us all to do the same. And it's messy. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes I'm a little bit in the past. I'd share too much, you know, and have to realize like, Mm. whoa, okay, that wasn't a safe person. I need to pull it back. (laughs) You know, so it's, it's, it's not perfect. It's messy. It's gray. It's not black or white. Um, But I definitely, I would rather make some messes and not hit the mark sometimes and be free than I would to, to, you know, walk in all this bondage and have to keep pretending and performing. I just can't do it again. <laughs> it's so powerful. And okay, now talk about pretending, performing. You live in Manhattan, as you mentioned yes. before. What's that like with this freedom that you found in Christ in the busiest city in America? Yes. Well, I think that one one great thing about Manhattan, um, for those who don't live here or maybe have a different perspective about it, it's like people, yes, human beings pretend and perform because we're taught and wired to, because um, we're scared, you know, to really be vulnerable and be who we are. But the truth is in New York, everybody's moving so fast, they just don't care about you. So it actually <laughs> just doesn't matter. It's like nobody cares. They don't care what you're wearing. They don't care what you have on. They don't care how you talk. They don't care what you're doing with your life, you know, because like I don't have time to fool with you. So in a way, it's like, Right. <laughs> um, and then in other ways, you know, pushing past some of those communal barriers that are here. It's no different than being in the South or being in Los Angeles, like pushing past the fact that people are time poor, pushing past the fact that people are money poor, pushing past the fact that people don't have margin in their emotions or their life or their relationships. I mean, we have to continue to push past that so that we can be known. Um, so it's just a new they're just new barriers that we have to keep kicking down. Um, but I do, I love being in New York. You know, we transitioned here because we were invited to. We pastor a church um, in downtown Manhattan in the financial district called Liberty. Um, and I love our church and love our pastors. Um, and it's been a, an amazing experience. But Cody and I happened to pastor this, the lower Manhattan one. And when we first got to New York, I'm telling you, you guys, I was just drowning. I'm like, can somebody throw me a life jacket? Like, is this, what's happening? Drowning. And then I feel like six to nine months in, I felt like, great, I gotta, I'm doggy paddling. Like I'm alive. And now I feel like, okay, great. Like I've got a killer doggy paddle. I am not swimming, (laughs) but my doggy paddle cannot be messed with. Like I am unstoppable. (laughs) But I, I, that would make for some strong quads though. I'm for that. I'm telling you, I've got leg muscles for days. You do. And just to clarify, you mentioned you have pastors, but you are pastors of a campus. Yes. Um, do you want to share? Liberty is a multi-church or multi-campus church yes, it is. Um, in New York City, hence why 
her husband and her pastor the the campus downtown yes. but there is other campuses there are yeah we have yeah. eight eight churches around the globe and um we have the financial district church which we love <laughs> amazing well ashley um I, ho- I hope this is okay to bring up and i'm sure you'll be more than happy to share about it but all of these dreams of writing um in some ways have come to fruition so do you want to mm. share a little bit um what our listeners can expect um in your world as you are now a full-time writer. I do, yes. So I have a blog um, that I love and have been writing also for a long time, since 2010 on my blog. So back when blogging wasn't that cool yet, um, and I was trying to write about fashion and food, but I shop at Target and I never cook, so it did not go well. So I shifted gears (laughs) and I blog a lot. And so because of that, I've, I've written for many magazines and digital outlets, and then recently just got my first two book deal so Yay. I am releasing my very first book in the fall of 2019, and I could not be more thrilled to bring this um, offering to the world, this 20-year-in-the-making offering that I'm very excited um, to give. <laughs> if you haven't already figured out, Ashley's voice and her taking perspective are so unique and so welcome and so needed in the world today. And you are going to be better for it by checking out her blog. She is my favorite blogger. I mean that, Ashley. <laughs> oh, Even if we weren't you friends, I, 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 you are good at it. Um, it is ashabercrombie.org. Um, you're going to want to check that out. And I'll have that in the show notes as well. Um, so you can check that out. And obviously, you'll be looking forward to her book coming. Yes. Um, it's going to, it's a, it's a long labor. we got a 12 month labor here. That's right. Um, <laughs> but it'll, it'll, it'll be worth it all. So, so exciting. Anything last thing you want to share, um, Ashley, before we wrap up? No, I'm just so excited to continue to get to know our listeners. And Tiffany, I love doing this with you. One of my best friends. And I'm just so thankful. Oh, we are having way too much fun. <laughs> yes. Hey, I just feel like our listeners need to know that I I have approached Ashley three times to do a podcast and I finally <laughs> wore her down. I said, this is my dream. I've had this dream since like 2007 I wanted to do a podcast. And um, I said, the only person, I don't want to do an interview style. That's not, that's not quite what I was thinking. I said, I want to do just a co-host and we talk about important issues. And I, I got her to do it. I didn't have to offer my firstborn. I didn't no, have to get her a didn't. cupcake. I just said, let's do this. And she said, yes. And here we are living yes. our best life. So, yes, we are. Um, she's amazing. <laughs> Definitely go check out her blog. And we cannot wait to have you back next week. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, listeners. Remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit tiffanybloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.